I am partnering with one of my favourite skincare brands, Elemis, to bring you this episode of Rain. Rain is all about encouraging you to feel like your best self and taking those moments every day for self-care, and so is Elemis. Elemis's luxury skincare products provide you with proven results-driven skincare, and who doesn't love to see results? Elemis's iconic Pro Collagen Cleansing Balm has three unique textures that creates the ultimate cleansing experience. It nourishes your skin like a balm, easily removes makeup as a cleansing oil, and hydrates as a cleansing milk. And it smells like heaven, which could be down to the unique blend of nine essential oils, including lavender, calmar, and eucalyptus. No wonder it's a number one bestseller. Your skin will be left feeling deeply cleansed, soothed, and supremely soft. Now, doesn't that sound like the ultimate moment of self-care every day? And I've got a little treat for you. Head to elemis.com and get 25% off by using the code JoshSmith. 25 at the checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain. And I'm so glad you're here, babes. This podcast is all about opening up, having important conversations and celebrating successes, as well as overcoming obstacles to reign over our own lives. I love to chat to people and I always find things in these conversations to take away and use in my own life. So I really hope you'll find the same as well. Welcome to Rain. I am so excited that today we're joined by Lena Dunham. Lena is the creator and star of the TV show Girls, which followed the life, loves, careers, and the fallouts of Four Best Pals. It was one of my favorite shows of all time and Lena went on to win multiple Golden Globes, a BAFTA and a ton of Emmy nominations. After starring in the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and then taking a break from the spotlight, she is back directing and writing the Amazon Prime movie Catherine Called Birdie. The movie is so damn funny. It follows medieval teenager Birdie as she comes of age and deals with everything from periods to crushes. And this episode has absolutely everything to from hilarious stories of when we first got drunk to making history a little bit more relatable, plus our mutual obsession with Billy Piper. We also talk about Lena's journey towards self-love, being honest about her endometriosis and the sexist treatment female directors are often subjected to. I hope you love this chat as much as I do. Now crowns at the ready, let's rain. Oh, and P.S. Apologies in advance for the cameos from Lena's cat and dog. Well, hello, babe. How are you? Oh my God, what an honor. Long time listener, first time caller. And to be in it, I've heard your voice so much and enjoyed your voice so much that to get to be in dialogue with that voice, to get to be called babe, what a thrill. (laughs) Well, I like to make every dream come true. Do you know what I mean? This is like, this is what we're doing today. I'm I'm like the syllable. I love act. it and surprise, surprise. <laughs> it feels so good. It feels so good. How are you today? 
Well, I'm good. I've gone through various different emotions today, I would say. Like, I've had, like, pure rage this morning. Like, everything was just making me... Like, the world was just very much testing me today. And then I literally put an eye mask on and ate a burrito and had a Diet Coke and felt very good about myself again. Like, sometimes it's just... And then I realized it was the hunger rage. Yep. Well, (laughs) it's funny. Firstly... I had to text our mutual friend Michael today and be like, what the fuck is going on? There's something astrological. Like, it's just issue after issue. Like, no one issue is that big, but combined, it's too much. And Mm -hmm. he sent me back a screenshot from the Is Mercury in Retrograde website confirming that it is. And while I try not to be that much of a hippie, I do think Mercury in retrograde makes everything just that much more irritating. Like, I feel like I become a real rage machine Mm -hmm. during those moments. She just needs to get in the bin. Like, do you know what I mean? Do we need her and her energy? (laughs) We do not. No, it was one of those things where it was like, where it was like, first the like backyard flooded, then the like face of a kitchen drawer fell off and then I closed the shower and the handle just shattered and then I was like something like I am not shouldn't be allowed to touch stuff today like something's so not right the equilibrium's so off but I wish I'd thought to eat a burrito and have a diet coke because that sounds so nice Mm -hmm. it's the top tip for self-care by the way it really is I like toasted some toast without even letting it get fully warm and like ate a partially cold piece of toast and that is not the top tip for self-care no honestly there's nothing worse than having undercooked toast and that is what i did right before i spoke to you so this is really my self-care is talking to you (laughs) well do you know what is a little bit of self-care that i've really enjoyed recently is what catherine called birdie babe what a triumphant return you are back it's been about five years five years too long can we let's go back to that to start off with what made you decide or want to take that kind of extended break before bringing this out you know it's such a good question because i feel like i want to i feel like you know most of us in this that most of the people that you and i probably know who we're dealing with are like creative people who are sort of having to push themselves to constantly achieve and constantly make. And Mm -hmm. you're always kind of dangling between, you're always kind of like on this pendulum that's swinging between knowing that you need to take care of yourself and need to be protective of yourself. And then also feeling like you can't get off the treadmill or everything will just stop. And so after girls, I, I think at first it wasn't a choice. It was like my body and my mind were just exhausted and I realized that if I wanted to make anything I was going to need to take a little bit of time and then I just started to enjoy the experience of quiet like I think when what I was very lucky that girls happened when I was young and people engaged with it the way that they did but I never I never was taught any other way than to just keep kind of following the motion wherever it took me and so So then in that five years, what was really nice was that I did work and I did stay busy and I did stay in a place where I was like creatively nimble and flexible. But until basically two weeks ago, I really wasn't doing press or having to go out and get behind things in that way. And so it allowed Mm. me time to just be in my creative life, 
without worrying about all of these modern problems of self-presentation and representation, et cetera, et cetera, that I feel like I'm sure you would relate to as a person who uses your voice and your mind for a living. Mm. Oh my God, 100%. I think it's such a good thing to take some time out, to step back, work on your craft, and also your mental well-being. Because I feel like as soon as we like go to school, we're told, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then you spend the rest of your life from that point on thinking about your career, putting your career first before yourself, right? Completely. And then the only time that you don't put your career before yourself is if you're putting a partner before yourself or a child Mm -hmm. before yourself or aging parents and family before yourself. It's like we're given this prescribed um, journey to take that involves basically handing over all of our power and attention to things that are outward. And while it's so important to be a contributing member of society, to be a loving member of your community, all of that, you also can't, you know, it's that old kind of slightly cheesy adage, like you can't um, pour water from an empty cup. Like you just, you need to, oh, a dog just ran into this room. Oh, a dog just ran behind me. Just giving you a warning of why you just saw something go flapping by. But, you know, you you have to be able to rely on yourself before other people can rely on you. And those are such simple concepts. And yet, I don't know, I found them very hard to grasp. Maybe other people have that balance down, but I certainly did not. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I don't have that balance at all. And and it's only in those times where you take that step back, you can actually make clear decisions for yourselves. And now you're a Londoner as well, babes. I know, which it's, that was sort of an accident. I mean, I'm now realizing that most of the best people are, if we're being honest. That mm-hmm. being said, it was one of those things where I came here because I just always sort of had a fantasy about like, I'm going to be a young, single woman in swinging London. Of course, the minute I did that, a pandemic started. So I wasn't, as with everything I do, it was just slightly fucked up. But I mean, I always felt like I want to spend a chapter of my life there. So why don't I go and see what it's like to work there? And then I got to live my dream, which was to date and marry an Englishman, which I'd really always thought having a partner with an English accent was just above my station in life. (laughs) I didn't think that that could be me, Josh. I really didn't. I was like, I'm going to have a lot of things in this life, but a guy with a real English accent is not going to be one of them. And look, here we are. And the first time my mom heard his voice on the phone, she was like, I knew he'd have an accent, but that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) How much of an accent is it? Well... It's a great question. He has one of those funny accents where it's like a little bit like now that I understand what it what an English, British, whatever you want to call it, accent is meant to sound like. I understand that he's sort of like picked bits and and bops from different places. So it's not like he kind of grew up all over, but he has some like funny mannerisms. Like he says with instead of with like W.I.F., which my mom finds endlessly amusing and also like the fact that his ths are f's means that she's constantly being like what are you saying what are you saying but but um it's enough of an accent that people are impressed i love that home people are impressed look at like my bit of english trophy that i brought home my little slice of victoria sponge that's literally i first thought it for a second you were gonna say my little Victoria Beckham. And I was like, he is my little Victoria Beckham. <laughs> but 
I said to him at first, I was like, do you guys find American accents cute the way we find English accents cute? And he took this long pause that told me the answer was no. Mm. I mean, I'm a big fan of an American accent, personally, for me. I like it. But I mean, I love that you like it and that's so nice, but I don't think that's so nice and makes me feel great. But I don't think you guys find it like we find English accents impressive and romantic, probably for like reasons of deep past history between our two nations that are like impossible to parse here. And I think you guys more are like, it's not the worst. You're like, it's fun, but it's not. Like, you're not charmed and enchanted by it and impressed by it the way an American might be. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what I have been enchanted by. And that what? is Catherine Colberti. And I mean, if you can say what is on the tin, it is amazing medieval girl who gets her period. But it's so much more of that. And I mean, I'm more of a Tudor girl myself. Anne Boleyn's my home girl, but I'm here for it. Why was this an important comeback moment Thank slash you. material for you? Firstly, I want you to make Anne Boleyn's My Homegirl sweatshirts because I will wear one every day. Um, You know, this was a book that I read. It's probably was the root of my like obsession with wanting to come to England. It's a book that I read when I was 10 and it was a YA novel that I discovered and it just obsessed me in that kind of way that things only can. Like if you look back, what were you obsessed with when you were 10? Like what were you like doing or watching or reading over and over? I was obsessed with steps. <laughs> like, it consumed That's... me. To the extent that I <laughs> literally got told in the playground that they broke up by a girl who was just trying to bully me over it. And I cried so no. much in the class in the afternoon, I had to go home. I was, like, uncontrollably sobbing. That's, That's what I was obsessed with. So fucking cute. <laughs> like, those feelings. I was obsessed with Catherine Called Birdie and the early work of Sarah Jessica Parker, pre-Sex in the City. Like, mm-hmm. I was obsessed. And there's just those things, that because I saw her on Broadway in a play, and I was like, she is an important woman who will change the world. And I was right. But there's these things that just, like, when you're a kid, you don't know why, but they consume your imagination. And this book was one of them. So when I decided that I was going to make movies, it became kind of a dream to make this one. And then it was a 10-year process to get this made. And I was so lucky along the way to meet these amazing producers in England, working title, and then also to find Bella Ramsey, who plays Birdie. And Bella was kind of the, you know, the, 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 the hub that all the spokes of the wheel came off of. Like, if Bella wasn't on point then the movie couldn't work and so it was just one of those like miraculous those miraculous connections you can't believe Mm. i mean she is so on point in it and it is so funny like who knew the medieval times was so funny and i just love how low the standards of dating are in it that a fit man is just someone who has all their teeth i'm like (laughs) it was a simpler time who has all their teeth so simple all their teeth and like no like open goiters or boils like it was and maybe someone who was going to live past 25 tick 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 you got it so do i i also (laughs) like that it was a time where being like a curvier woman was a sign of ample health and opportunity like there's a lot for us in the medieval times but um 
But it was really interesting also to think about the fact that like when you're a teenager in the medieval world, you're you've gone through such a larger percentage of your life because your life expectancy mm. was about 40. Like people who lived to be 60 were considered wise old crones. So, you know, like every one of the real housewives would be dead already. Like it's just wild. When you actually put it in that perspective, it makes it even more wild of a time. That's the kind of detail. Those are the details we need to make history make sense. Is like, <laughs> hey, if you were alive in 1290, the real housewives would all be dead already. Oh, I get history. I get history. <laughs> I now fully understand it. And I love the part of yeah. it where it's the little rites of passage that I love about it. And one of the ones that made me laugh so much because it made me reflect on my own experience of this is the first time she gets drunk. And we all remember that time. And it's such a rite of passage, isn't it? It's such a rite of passage. Do you remember where were you the first time you got drunk? Uh, the first time I got very, very drunk was on... Like, to the extent that my parents had to be called in <laughs> was on my 18th so birthday, cute. where we went out dressed as schoolboys and schoolgirls, and we went out to the local Weatherspoons in Cambridge, and I disappeared, and I was literally vomiting my guts up in the toilet, and next thing you know, my best friend finds me getting dragged out by two bouncers who I'm being sick on, and my mum has to come pick me up. <laughs> that was probably the bit oh, which was a real rite God. of passage. <laughs> Was she mad, your mom, or was she kind of like, Josh? She was so mad because basically that day I got given my new flip phone and I lost it in the carnage. Wait. You can imagine. You're kidding. I lost my flip phone on the day that I first got drunk too. And my mom, no! I was 14. <laughs> I was 14 and my mom wouldn't get me a new one for four years. My mom was like, no. You fucked it. She was like, it's done. And I didn't get a new one till I went to till I got my razor when I went to college. Oh my god, the razor was a real moment so, though. Such a moment and I felt so cool. It was pink. My razor was pink. And I had like I went to a cell phone phone store and got like a little fake Louis Vuitton print clip on cover for my razor. So I was like, I'm unstoppable. Babe, you were peak. Like you were I peak flip phone. I was I was peak. I was just thinking yesterday about when I got that razor because I had the razor phone, like multicolored Louis Vuitton cover. And then I was doing that thing where you wear like a poof at the front of your hair, like a little, like kind of like you take your bangs and put them up into like a mini bleached pompadour. And I just thought I was untouchable. But yeah, the first time I got drunk, like really drunk, I went over to the house of these kids who went to my high school and I was like, I'm just going to go out for 20 minutes because it's two blocks from my house. And I had one drink and I was like, I, I had always been a real prude about it. And I was had like maybe just turned 15 and I was like, I'm going to try one. Then I was like, this is amazing. And I remember thinking, if I don't have another one really fast, this feeling will go away. <laughs> oh no, if I don't have another one really fast. And then suddenly I was wasted and this boy who was older than me, who I knew from theater class, walked me home and I think I pushed him up against a wall and like grabbed him around the neck and said, I've never been kissed against, no, excuse me, I threw myself against a brick wall, like my back really dramatically and I said, I've never been kissed against a brick wall before. And he was like, and really I'd never been kissed. And he was like, well, it's not gonna happen now. <laughs> And he laid me, he laid me on the doormat of my parents' house and rung the bell. 
So my dad came down and I was just going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then I kept trying to come out of my bedroom to say sorry. And he finally was like, I'm going to lock the door from the outside if you don't. I'm going to bar the door with a chair if you don't go to bed. Babe. <laughs> so, yeah, I think both you and I, I was a terribly unsuccessful drinker. But now do you feel like you can hold your liquor? <laughs> um, I think that's up for debate. <laughs> I think that if you like, asked certain people I know, they'd probably be like, no. If you asked others, they'd be like, yes. If you asked me to soul search and answer you that correctly, I would probably go 90% times yes, 10% of the time I get a little bit too excited. Yep, yep. Well, see, the thing is being able to be honest about that is important. Honesty is key. <laughs> the first time I saw a Weatherspoons, by the way, I was with a friend and we were looking for a place to eat because we were on like a, a scouting trip for a movie. And she was like, let's go to that quaint little pub. Like she thought, <laughs> we both thought it was like a local, a fine local pub that would show us like the color of England. And then we walked in and we were like, oh, this is a McDonald's. <laughs> but it does have some competitive beer and a burger kind of like situations and when I was like a teenager I was so obsessed with the, like the alcohol like jugs they did and they literally used to sashay around that Weatherspoons in Cambridge with like they'd be like how many straws do you want I was like duh one and I'd be like walking around with an entire jug of sex on the beach <laughs> thinking oh I was God. the so, bomb duh one is like a really important book you're gonna write <laughs> yeah, that one is definitely a very... Duh Thank one. you, Bates, for inspiring me to, for my autobiography. I can't wait to read it. Duh, straw for one. I'm so excited that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Elemis, whose skincare products I can't stop raving about. Elemis's iconic Pro Collagen Cleansing Balm is just one of the brand's products that stays true to its honest commitment to results-driven skincare. The Pro Collagen Cleansing Balm is great for removing makeup, whilst nourishing like a balm and hydrating like a cleansing milk. It's a heavenly moment of self-care every day. Head to elemis.com now, and don't forget to use the code JoshSmith25 at the checkout to get 25% off. Terms and conditions apply. In the movie, you've cast the one and only Billy Piper. Now, did you know that Billy Piper was one of the ultimate pop stars of the 90s? Did you know this? You know, I did. And here's how I knew is that when I was about 14... My, I came on a tr my first ever trip to England with my mother. My mom took my younger sibling and me to England. She was having like a professional uh, moment. And she's like, we're going to spend the week and see what London has to offer. I spent the whole week in the hotel watching British MTV. I could not mm -hmm. be ripped away. British MTV and pop stars. That sh reality show pop stars. Oh my god, with hearsay. And it was everything. Yes. Where they assembled hearsay. And so I was like, I don't want to see what London has to offer. I just want to watch British TV, which is basically still who I am. And I saw the work of Billy Piper and I became obsessed. And I went back to New York and I was basically like, guys, I heard about this really cool indie music. It's called Billy Piper. Like... <laughs> 
I thought I was the coolest fucking person in the world. So then when Billy popped up as the amazing actor that she is now, I was like, oh, girl. Like, it was like <laughs> I was dazzled, dazzled by the journey. So when she decided to do the movie and I was so starstruck I couldn't take it, I then, after we wrapped, was like, I was assembling these songs that I wanted to use that were kind of like, you know, teen romance uh, mm -hmm. moments. And I was like, how fun would it be if we used Honey to the Bee, one of the most important, did a cover of Honey to the Bee. And I wasn't sure if Billy would be like, no, that's my past, like, let my past be, or if she would be amused by it. And I think it speaks so much to what a cool and self-aware and brilliant person that she is that she was like, yeah, use it. Like, she was kind of just tickled by it, which I love because certain people would be precious about, no, that was then and this is now. And it, like, just shows what a great sense of humor she has, as if we didn't know from I Hate Susie and everything else, that she was like, no, go on, do it. I mean, Honey to the Bee, that's you for me, babes. Honey to the Bee, that's you for me. It's got very sexy lyrics, I have to say, for a teenager. <laughs> like, the fact that this was what they were having, like, a 14-year-old girl sing to the nation is quite intense because yeah. it feels like it's got some body metaphor in there that we can't quite crack. But mm. it's also just, it's brilliant. It doesn't matter because it's so good. I mean, it does say I've been thinking about your sugar lips in the lyrics. So I think it's it's a little racier I than I than I thought it was when I was walking around singing it. I know, I know. And also the way that they kind of bring in the fact that she's B and it's honey to the B. Like it's brilliant <laughs> on so many levels. But yeah, Billy Piper is to me still the great pop star of our nation. She is, 1000%, and such an amazing actress, and she really comes so alive amazing. in this, as does so many of the actors on screen. And one of the things I love about the movie so much is it's about this very, Bernie has this very innocent state of self-love, and then you meet her at this point before it's been chipped away or taken away from her, and that's such a special time for so many people. And I feel like we spend the rest of our lives trying to go back to that state where we have that kind of self-acceptance and self-love. For you, what has your own journey been like with that very complex idea of what self-love is? Well, I love that you say that and that's such a beautiful assessment and that's something that I hope people will take away from the movie. And you know, for me, one of the big things that I love about Bella and about the character is that, you know, listen, I think everyone should express themselves exactly the way they want to. And I will stress, I'm old now. I'm like going to be 40 in four years. I'm old. But when I see young people popping up on, you know, Instagram or wherever young people can be seen, I notice that now everybody has to sort of project this like perfectly filtered image where they all kind of look like the same 35 year old woman and i want to be like you look great everyone should feel beautiful they want to how they want to feel beautiful but like kids this is a really nice time to just get to be a weirdo and to get to be yourself and to get to like there's going to be so much of life to succumb to all those pressures and to look and feel older you're there's going to be a time where you wish that you could just be like 
a wild teen with straggly hair. And and mm-hmm. so I love that in Birdie and also in who Bella is, which is someone who's so authentically themselves, people can have this picture of a different way of doing things because Bella is just like such a role model on screen and off. And I think for me, obviously, like, for all of us, it's a very complicated thing to continue to love and even like yourself sometimes. And I think, well, there are a lot of amazing benefits to getting my work seen the way it has been. And obviously I feel so lucky that people care at all. I definitely found being exposed to um, just public view in my 20s to be challenging in terms of just holding on to that feeling of being kind to myself because I'm sure you know from being on social media, like people are just, people are complicated and they really let it out. And it's really hard to, we're already struggling with so much around how we're raised, what our traumas are, our interactions with people. So then on top of it to have kind of public responses to who you are, it it definitely threw me off my um, self-love game for a while. And I think it really the last five, six years for me, my 30s have really been about just treating myself with just a little more kindness, a little more understanding, a little more gentleness and accepting the things that are sort of set about me. And and when I attempt to change the things that aren't, not doing it out of cruelty or hatred towards myself, but doing it out of just a desire to make things better and more um, joyful for myself. Like I feel Mm. like so many times we undertake change with a like, you know, with this stern, like you better get to the gym January 1st. You've been lazy. You better do your work. You've been bad. And like, I've just really tried to change the way that I talk to myself because that voice in your head, in a way it's easy to blame social media, but the voice in your own head, I think is the most brutal one of all. And if you can cut down on some of that self-directed cruelty, boy, does it make a big difference. How have you managed to do that and to change that conversation with yourself internally, do you think? I think that the biggest thing, I mean, obviously it's ongoing all the time. But I think the biggest thing about changing the conversation with yourself internally is just practice. It's like habits. It's like every, of course, therapy helps. And of course, reading books helps. And of course, you know, there's so many different ways to take care of yourself. But I think that like any habit, it involves noticing when you do it and being like really purposeful about changing it. Like listening to the moments where you talk to yourself, I find it helpful I had a therapist say to me, um, there's a really brilliant psychiatrist who I'm lucky enough to be friends with called Gabor Mate, and he's amazing. He just had a new book come out called The Myth of Normal, which I can't recommend enough. And I was talking to him because I was interviewed in this new book, which is about sort of the intersection between trauma and addiction and illness. And I was talking to him and he was like, you know, I notice you talk about the people you love in a really, really, really loving way. Your family, your friends, your colleagues you sound concerned about them, you adore them. And then you talk about yourself in this way that is so much harsher and so much less kind. You're so skeptical of yourself. And he was like, can you try to notice every time you direct that voice towards yourself and try to shift it more 
towards the tone that you would use for the people that you care about. And I was like, oh, wow, that is very, very, very powerful. And so that's what I've tried to do. And I'm not going to say I'm, you know, uh, a black belt at it yet, but I feel like each day as I call attention to it, even if it's just like 10% of the time, I'm able to be like, no, Lena, uh, let's reframe that. It's making a a really big difference. Mm, That's so amazing to get to that point. And it's very difficult to do that being a woman in the public eye. And I think especially for female creators and female voices and female directors, I mean, we've even seen it recently with Olivia Wilde, for instance, people just love to tear women down. And it's so overtly sexist. I mean, we're all open to criticism. We've all done things we necessarily wouldn't want, should have done differently. And that's fair. But then the criticism can be so heavily sexist do you think that female directors and creators are still held to a higher account than what male alters are 1000 percent. and i think anyone who does not represent the kind of cis white male majority in hollywood is held to a different standard i think people are made to feel like if you mess this up then it's going to be your last opportunity or if whatever you're doing you have to represent everybody else who looks like you or shares your same gender identity and I think that, of course, we have all done things that we wish we could have done differently. And that constructive criticism is really healthy. But I think the thing that has upset me in in what I've witnessed around the Olivia Wild stuff is just the glee that people have in the kind of gotcha glee that people have. Um, and I do think that it's it can be more intense when it comes to... Um, women in the public eye but I also think it can be more intense when it comes to queer people and people of color and that the best thing that we can all do is band together and noticing it and supporting each other and you know I think that it's so also upsetting to just see like the thin line between obsessive fandom on the internet that turns to something so much darker because people who purport to have so much love for someone can then just shift And in that way, I feel lucky that while people know about my work, I've never been on a scale where I would receive that kind of mass pandemonium of attention because I think it's very antithetical to creativity. I don't know that I could continue to have the fluid creative life that I have. I deeply admire, there's some amazingly creative people who do deal with it, but I just, I don't think I have the constitution. I think it's very interesting because one of the themes of Catherine Coolbirdy as well is this idea of what's deemed as acceptable behaviour for a woman. And if you yep. step outside of that yep. box, you're you're shunned, you're not normal, you're not you shouldn't be part of society. And I think that so many of us get pushed into these boxes at so many different points in our lives and we try to adapt to those boxes, we try to fit into them. When do you think no. you've tried to fit yourself into a box or a predetermined stereotype and you kind of look back at now and wish you didn't? Well, it's a great question. And that is so much of what the movie is about is like being told that there's one way to be a woman that you, I mean, I feel like the character of Birdie, if she existed now, would be questioning whether being a woman was even a label that she identified with because Mm. I think, but I think there's just no space to ask those questions and this is a minor example but i think it's a real one which is like when i started 
going to public events. I had so much fun with fashion. I loved getting dressed up. I felt like myself. I loved having a sense of humor about it, trying new things. And then I just felt like I was constantly getting this feedback, like my clothes, like my clothes didn't look right for my body or I wasn't feminine enough or I wasn't glamorous enough. And so I kept trying to like fit myself into this mold of like the kind of dress I thought I should wear, the kind of makeup I thought I should have, the kind of hairstyle I thought my, you know, weird, messy hair should be oriented into. And I look at pictures now of myself in my late 20s and I just think like there's so many moments where I can tell that I'm not having fun at an event that should be for all intents and purposes fun because I'm kind of trying to fit this mold that I will never actually fit and I can just sort of see the sadness in that person and what's been nice about taking some time and then re-emerging is that like now I am finding a way to have fun with all that again and even though you know clothes and makeup aren't the most important part of my job it's just a way to kind of um celebrate where you are and for a long time I wasn't celebrating because I was trying too hard to kind of hide in these other identities and so it's been nice to be like oh no I'm back to kind of not Give, firstly, I think the culture of ripping people's clothes apart, like on Fashion Police and other stuff like that, along with our re-examination of maybe the treatment of women in the 2000s, 90s and 2000s, I think that culture of body shaming and ripping, like Joan Rivers was a goddess, may she rest in peace, she could not have called me fat more times. And it's like that mm. culture of ripping people apart based on their garb based on all of that is really coming is becoming much less prevalent at least in mainstream media and now i'm sort of just back to having fun and that's a really good feeling mm. and i think as well we've changed the dimension of celebrity news in a way that you're allowed to be honest now about what you're actually going through internally and people have far more respect hopefully fingers crossed we can live in a world where you can be honest about what's going on behind closed doors what's going on with your body going on inside internally and one 1, of the things i have so much respect for you about is how open and honest you've been about your health and your endometriosis and being so honest about that and i think that i have friends who deal with that go through that have to deal with it on a daily basis and having someone like you who talks about it is so beneficial. Do you feel like being honest about that has helped you be able to deal with it and process what has happened to you? 1000%. And it's helped me feel like I have community. It's funny, my mom always used to be like, why do you talk about these things? It's just too much. Like, I don't want my friends calling and checking in and asking if you're okay. Like, she was much more from the old school of like, we keep these things private. They're not fit for sharing. Mm. And I said to her, it's because it makes me feel like I have a community. And for so long, she didn't understand. And then one day we were outside a doctor's appointment she had come with me to. And this young woman came up to me and was like, I had to have a full hysterectomy. Thank you so much for sharing. It made me feel so much less alone. And my mom looked at me and she was like, I get it now. And it made it made me feel like I could shed light on an issue that was important, which is how underfunded and underexamined women's health is, mm. women's reproductive health is. And 
then it also made me feel like I could connect to, um, it made me feel like I could connect to other people in a way. And now I, you know, I probably keep stuff a little closer to the vest than I used to because I'm getting to express so much of it in my work. And because I feel like now that it is more common for people to talk about this stuff, I'm like, oh, it's great. This like new young class of super cool young women is talking about their stuff and probably having more impact than I ever could. But I'm really glad, like, I'm like, oh, it's so cool. Like people know that like Camila Mendez from, you know, Riverdale and Do Revenge has endo. Like that's going to change so many teenagers' lives. And so I can kind of hang up my raincoat and just be a menopausal grandma over here. But it's it was really good for me when it happened. And I'm so glad, you know, plenty of people talk to me who now know the word endometriosis when they didn't even know it before or say to mm. me, I had painful periods and I just thought it was the way that it had to be. And I know I get so much from other people being open about their experiences. It just lights me up so so i feel lucky that though that's the bright side of social media and and what was beautiful about it for me mm. and i think what's interesting about endo is that a lot of my friends who i talked to about it and people i've interviewed about it before have said that it really shows how sexist and patriarchal the medical community can still be yeah did you find that Oh, 1000%. I had so many people tell me I was sensitive or needed to get it together or needed to just relax. I had someone say, just take a glass of wine, have a glass of wine before you have sex, you'll be fine. I mean, I had people say things to me where I'm like, this person should have their medical license taken away because they're ostensibly a women's health doctor and cannot listen to a woman in pain. And it continues on. And there's so many areas of of the female body that are just unexamined. But, you know, that's, again, that's always been the case for marginalized people. Like, it makes me think about, you know, how anything relating to queer health has always been so taboo. Mm. And people don't want to explore, you know, what is going on when it comes to the health of gay men or when it comes to the health of, you know, our, our trans comrades in arm. Like, it's just really the medical system is designed for straight white men. I think for me in, you know, besides my work, the most important thing is to try to shed light on illness and addiction and trauma and how they all intersect and how particularly challenging it is to get treatment for those things when you don't sort of fit the mold of who they're doing the majority of medical studies on and for. And it makes sense. I mean, especially in America, it's mostly Christian white men who are controlling what gets studied and how. And speaking of medicine, my doctor has texted me four times. So in a moment, I'm going to have to go and talk to her. But which makes a very nice segue because I wish I could gab with you all day. But I've got a puffy knee I need to discuss. Isn't that sexy? <laughs> that is so, well babe i think you're sexy inside and out i think you're sexy <laughs> it's the it's the it's the cleavage today isn't it the unbuttoned shirt that's really doing it it's the cleavage for me <laughs> and before you run off we always end on this final question and that always is in the reign of your life what is the one rule you'll always live by what is that rule for you lena 
Okay, my dad once said to me, go where there's a U-shaped hole for yourself. And I think about it all the time. Another way he put it is go where it's warm. But like, I'm not into resistance. I don't like window shopping. I don't like buying things that are too expensive for me. I don't like pushing back and trying to be friends with people who don't like me. Like, I'm like, I want to go where it's warm and where it's safe. And that doesn't mean it's not challenging. And that doesn't mean you're not pushing. But like, life is hard enough without trying to insert myself into things that don't belong to me or to grab things that weren't made for me. And I feel like if I had to pick one rule... And if I was the ruler of the country, I'd be like, let's all reach for what's ours and not push for what's not. Which doesn't mean be complacent or stay in your lane. It just means like, if that person over there is not hearing you, go somewhere else. If that person isn't interested in you, you know, like if that door is not opening, like walk around the back and look for an entrance with a more jiggly knob. like. And look for spaces that gratify you and make you feel seen and make you feel cared for. Because, as I said, there's enough bullshit. I love it. Thank you so much for that. I need to do that. And I adore you. And you're amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, babe. You're amazing. Thank you so much for joining me for another amazing episode of Rain. I really hope you found something to take away from this episode. And if you have, let me know. You can always get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. I love to hear from you. And as always, if you've enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow wherever you get your podcasts from. And more importantly, please share this with someone you think needs to hear it. Let's get those convos going and I'll see you next time. <laughs>